Welcome to another episode of Indiana Politics. I'm Deb Chubb, and I am just thrilled to be here with State Representative Robin Shackelford. She represents House District 98, and she has been a state legislator since 2012. And I do want to tell you a little bit about her background, because I think it's so important uh, to realize how qualified uh, some of our terrific women legislators are. Um, Representative Shackelford uh, has both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in public policy from uh, IU and IUPUI. Uh, she worked for years in government and uh, she was the diversity affairs director under Mayor Peterson and uh, was a project manager for a couple of great uh, consulting firms in Indianapolis and also a policy and research specialist uh, for the Indiana Health uh, Healthcare Association. So I know that healthcare is something that's really close to your heart. And I'm really glad that we'll be able to talk a little bit about that today, because we're gonna talk about uh, a couple of the bills that you have introduced that are related to healthcare. So, all right. And so, and I, I am, uh, I, if, if we could just pop out of that for a moment, just to acknowledge the outstanding results in Georgia. Um, I just want to just acknowledge, I think we should all, uh, you know, just, you know, praise uh, the Stacey Abrams and the Latasha Browns of Georgia. And, um, and so I want you to just talk to me a little bit about what your impression of that is. So I am excited about that turnout, the outcome. I am super ecstatic that we now will be able to have enough control in the Senate and the House and the presidency because the agenda that Biden and Harris wants to put forth, whether it's student loans or helping people during COVID, now that agenda will be much easier being able to be at pass. So I think it just gives everybody hope with them two at the realm, the head of the realm, and now being able to get that Senate, which has been a long time coming. So I can't be more than excited. And then I'm also happy that they were able to get so many African-Americans registered to vote and voting and engaged in the process and the system, which we've been lacking for years. So I'm just wanting to duplicate anything that they can share with us that we can do here in Indiana. That's great. And uh, they were so innovative, I think, in their get out the vote um, activities, especially. And um, it just was just such a great, energetic, innovative, exciting, and a lot of fun it looked like to me. So yes, we all need to take some notes, don't we? Yes. So, okay, so, um, and is there anything I wanna ask you before we move on? You know, is there anything else about your experience or anything that you want to, you know, want to include? I, I wanna make sure that, uh, you know, that I'm getting out there all of the great background you have and that you bring to this position. Oh no, I think that sums it up. I mean, I don't know if you've hit my current positions in the house as ranking minority member for the health committee and chair over the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus and vice chair over our Women's Power Caucus. Oh, great. And I wanna hear more about that too. I don't know what that is and I wanna hear more about it. But, um, but first, um, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about your bills, especially the, the two that are dealing with healthcare. So tell us about it. It's uh, House Bill uh, 1333 and House Bill 1147. So tell us about that. So, I really love 1333. Uh, during the summer, we put together a task force specifically to look at the health disparities among minorities, especially during COVID. Uh, the task force met, they came out with a list of recommendations at the beginning of July, 
And this is one of those recommendations. We've known for years that we need to improve the relations between patients and doctors, especially for our minority community, for whether it was African-American, uh, Latina, Latino. So, and also whether it's someone that's disabled or speak a different language. So this bill will require health professionals to get at least a two hour training on cultural awareness every year. Uh, the training will be put together by the Indiana State Department of Health and also the Indiana Minority Health Coalition. So you will have that group that deals with health disparities involved in developing the curriculum. And we're hoping that it will be something interactive, something interesting uh, that health providers can really learn from. Uh, it's only gonna cost $5. Um, there is accountability within the bill. So everyone has to do this. If they don't, then they jeopardize not getting recertified, getting their annual certification. And then also uh, employers have to make sure that healthcare providers have this certificate when they're gonna hire them. So it does have some meat there to make sure uh, that people are actually doing this training. And then the second part of the bill is a data collection bill. Uh, we don't know, we don't have enough data on what all the disparities look like. There's certain uh, numbers that we collect right now, but this time we will be collecting data and going forward um, on race, on sex, your primary language, if you have a disability or not, and looking at how those issues actually impact your healthcare. What diseases are certain people getting compared to other people? So this data will be housed at our state data center and be collected. And it's a mirror of what they require at the federal level at HSS for some of their uh, data collection. So those are the main two components of the bill. That's great. That sounds like, uh, that's terrific. And I, I know the data, you know, you can't fix something if you can't measure it. Um, so data is, is always so important. So yeah. that's great. And, and of course, training is gonna be great. We really need that. I mean, we all know we've had those two terrible, um, really um, well-publicized cases of, uh, you know, prominent, smart African-American women trying to get healthcare and, and ending up dying. It's just, it's too much. It's just too much. And, um, and I know that that happens a lot. I think I just read um, um, African-American women are 60% more likely to die in childbirth than white women. And it's just, it's just shocking. It's just shocking. And, and of course, the video that we saw of um, the doctor who, you know, really described it in real time of the experience she was having was just, you know, heartbreaking. And that she then ended up dying was just unreal. And so, and I think, are you not involved also in, an, um, in a review of those cases? So I'm being kept abreast by IU Health. Uh, but I'm not on the review team. Uh, there's about five people on the external review team. Most of them are uh, doctors that deal with this type of case. And then our two lay people that we have on there is from Indiana Minority Health Coalition and the Indiana Black Expo. So I'm good with the people that they pick to be on the external review team and with them keeping us updated as they go through the steps. And I think they are willing I think now after light has been shined uh, with Dr. Susan Moore and her incident and what happened to her, you'll see the hospitals more willing now to make changes uh, when it comes to just health disparities that's out there and how do they process and how do they treat 
um, black women and other black people that come through their doors. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. Can you tell us then also about um, your other bill, 1147, dealing with community health workers? Yes, community health workers bill that also came out of the task force, one of their recommendations. We are starting to use community health workers more. They are people that help you throughout the system, help you with the process, help you with your treatment. Um, so you will probably come in more in contact with them compared to seeing your doctor maybe once or twice. These are people that come alongside you and help you through your whole health care. So I wanted to increase the hours that Medicaid actually reimburses them. So we increase their hours as approved by Medicaid and then also make sure that they can get paid for telehealth services. With COVID, mostly all the healthcare professionals are providing service through telehealth and not in person. And right now they currently was not on the list so they can get reimbursed or paid for telehealth services. So that was the two components that's in the bill. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Um, you know, excellent making, you know, those small changes uh, can just change the trajectory of people's lives uh, who are really trying, who are trying to get healthcare. I mean, it's just yeah. astonishing how a little change like that can make a difference. Okay. So there's, and there's another a bill that I especially want to talk to you about, and that's um, a House Bill 1006. Um, we know that um, uh, one of the senators has introduced a bill that um, prohibits um, municipalities from reducing uh, or you know, defunding uh, police departments unless they have a budget shortfall. And you just, I don't, I just feel like you couldn't miss the point, um, you know, of everything we've been through this year any more than that, um, as if that was the issue. So, um, and so I think your bill is the one that really does address what everyone has been complaining about this year, and and valid complaints they are. So I will say. Uh... I'll make sure everyone knows this. I'm a co-author, but the author is Representative Steerwald, Gregory Steerwald, who the Black Caucus have been working with all summer on this bill. Um, we met with several law enforcement agencies with the community, held town halls. And in this bill is some of those recommendations that you see from those groups. It is a historical bill. A lot of this stuff has not been done before where we are holding law enforcement accountable. So I'll just briefly go over, there's five big sections uh, to this bill that it addresses. For one, it requires the Indiana Law Enforcement Training Board to now train de-escalation training. So we wanna make sure officers are doing everything they can and being trained before they do excessive use of force. So the de-escalation training, it will be in their pre-basic training, the mandatory in-service training, and it will also be at the executive training program. So we're hitting all levels and at all entry points when officers are trained. Next, it will allow the Indiana Law Enforcement Board to decertify an officer. So if an officer has bad conduct, if they are um, accused of a misdemeanor or a felony or charged and convicted of a misdemeanor or felony, or even if they're participating in bad conduct and not even charged, they can potentially have their certification taken away from them. And that is a huge one. Then the next is we define choke codes. So we wanna make sure that we prohibit the use of choke codes just under certain circumstances, which includes when you're using deadly force. So we know that choke code is when you're applying pressure uh, to someone's throat or neck 
and that other person can't breathe and your intent is for them not to breathe. So we wanna make it harder to use chokeholds and make sure officers are only using them uh, when they're intending to use deadly force. Next, um, it specifies that an officer who turns off their body camera with the intent to conceal a criminal act, then they'll commit a class A misdemeanor. So we're making sure that if you do have on a body cam or dash cam, that you're not turning it off in situations where we think it should be on at all times and it's supposed to be on at all times. And then lastly, this is a huge one because the problem was we had bad officers going from agency to agency with no proper background checks being done and making sure they're not transferring from one city to another city. So now the previous employer has to supply the personnel documents to the new employer. Uh, and we're making sure that all that information is held at the national database too, if there are any incidences with an officer. And then it also gives immunity to the former employer to make them more comfortable in releasing those documents. Whereas before law enforcement said it was hard for them to get any disciplinary documents or personnel documents, they would just get a, okay, this person is good to hire. And some law enforcement officers were just looking at someone's certification. They wasn't even doing a extended background check. So those are five big components of the bill that it addresses. We'll be hearing it tomorrow at 10 o'clock in Courts and Criminal Code. And it has gotten a lot of bipartisan support. This is one that we think will get out of the House and the Senate. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. That's the most important part of everything you just said. <laughs> I mean, those are great ideas, but, you know, in our gerrymandered supermajority, you know, Republican uh, legislature, you know, great ideas, you know, don't mean much if they can't get through. So, and I know that uh, a lot of that is due to the work you have done over the years, developing great relationships. Uh, you've done a terrific job, I think, uh, getting along with everyone. Well, I appreciate it. And I will say, uh, when we went to talk to Speaker Houston about our justice reform agenda, he wanted to put uh, Representative Steerwald in charge with coming up with a major bill that everyone could support. So I'm glad we were able to work with Steerwald. I'm glad he made it so serious and kept it so seriously and really worked on this stuff. Even there was a lot of opposition as we developed it and moving forward. So I'm just happy that they were persistent uh, and was able to get a lot of this in this bill. That's excellent. That's great. So you said again, uh, it's going to be on tomorrow. I'm going to put this out uh, tonight so people can see it so they know how to participate in the discussion. And so it'll be in the, uh, say that again, the which committee? Courts and Criminal Code under the House. So Courts and Criminal Code at 10 a.m. And they can view it on our website if they want to go to our website at iga.in.gov. You can view it there live or you can come down in person uh, if you want to testify. And we're actually going to be in the Government Center South in our temporary chamber that they've set up that's much bigger. And you can come in there and testify. Excellent. And so uh, then will the committee vote on it tomorrow? Yes, we're going to listen to testimony and vote tomorrow. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a big day. I mean, and this could be one of the most important bills of the session. I mean, yes, this is just so incredible. Um, you know, as we know, with all the events happened in Washington, you know, it's turning out that there were police officers who were also involved in it. And 
And there's just this culture that we really need to get at. We really need to get at. So, all right, great. And then, um, so I do want to come back to, you mentioned about uh, the Women Power Women Caucus. Can you explain that? I'm not sure what that is. So the Women Power Caucus is the caucus that's made up of all the women legislators in the House and the Senate and Republican and Democrat. So we do an annual scholarship every year uh, for women who are non-traditional students. We raise money for them. And we also look at healthcare issues. Uh, we try to work on some of those things that we all can agree upon. And usually healthcare is that area that we all can agree upon. So that is the caucus uh, for the women. Excellent. And so are, does the caucus put forth uh, bills that everyone agrees to on there or it's really just at a kind of a discussion level? It's just at the discussion level and then the fundraising and the scholarship program. We are continuously trying to work with everyone and start working on bills, but there's just some hesitation and concern uh, that some of our women may not agree. And so some women are just reluctant, but we're constantly pushing it every year to see at least if there's some kind of legislative agenda that we all can support and agree upon. That's great. And so, and I see how my notes, I did forget to ask you about one of your other bills um, that we wanted to talk about. And that is House Bill 1219 um, concerning housing. So, can, and I, did, I just looked at the digest and I didn't really understand. So you'll have to explain for me. That's what uh, I'm just putting it up because I wanted to make sure uh, that I hit some of these points. Um, I know it has about three big things um, that I worked with, well, we worked, me and Representative Clear, with the housing coalition. And so they came up with some of these items. Some of these items was in my tenants right bill last year. So one would be expungement. If someone, um, a landlord took a renter or someone to court and they didn't win, the person actually won, then we feel that case should be expunged for their record. Because as long as it's on there, as long as an eviction is on there, then it's very hard for you to get housing going forward. The other one, a lot of landlords are using these screening mechanisms and information where they will get a report and whether it's financial or their housing history. And based on that report, they deny someone uh, the ability to live um, that they're running out. So this says that the tenant, the potential tenant should be able to get a copy of that report, uh, especially if you have denied them. And then the last piece is housing courts. Um, we think there should be housing problems, court solving courts, because a lot of these issues, um, people may take to court, but the judge may not be so familiar in the housing component. So we think there should be a separate court dealing with all of these housing issues that's going on. So those are the three uh, major pieces uh, that I remember from the bill. And I know that the um, housing coalition were trying to push. Great. Do you, and do you, has that been assigned to a committee? Um, let me see if it's been assigned to a committee. I don't, let me check because this one, we got this one in a little late. So let me see. Well, it's such an enormous issue. Uh, even though there's been the you know, moratoriums, I'm sorry, go ahead. It has, it's been assigned to judiciary. Okay. Oh, excellent. So yeah, I mean, just like there's, you know, the, uh, you know, addictions court and there's, uh, veterans courts and there's family courts. Um, this makes sense. Housing is going to be a huge issue. Um, and, uh, and for 
going to be so many proceedings, uh, you know, that are going to have to, you know, that are piling up and waiting uh, right now. And even though there's the moratorium, as soon as that is over, um, you know, people, you know, people still don't have the money. They, you know, it's not like somehow magically the moratorium will be lifted and then renters will have the money to pay all that back rent. They're still going to be evicted. And like you say, that's one of the biggest problems that once you're evicted, um, it's really hard to find another rental. So, uh, you know, because people see, you know, they see your name out there. Uh, so this is, housing is just gonna be one of the most awful things. And, uh, and there's just so many renters, even, you know, and people like with student loan debt who, you know, who will only be able to rent forever because yeah. of the- And the coalition, another thing, they basically wanted housing looked at as a health issue. Um, they backed off that bill because they would rather get these items uh, pushed forward. But just thinking about that, it should be considered a health issue. If you don't have a safe place to live, then it's definitely going to affect your health. So we'll be working underneath that ram and just trying to get legislators to understand how important housing has become, even with this pandemic, and just has been um, like glorified on the need for more safe housing and making sure people have their rights if they're going to be get uh, evicted from someplace. Right, and I, yeah, I just, I, I just, I can just see this coming as just an avalanche um, of, you know, of landlord-tenant issues and homelessness that's going to be coming in the next couple of months. It's just absolutely frightening. So, all right. And so, um, uh, is there any other legislation that you would like to chat about? Uh, you know, yours or anyone else's that you think is uh, particularly important? So, those are some of the major ones. I will say uh, a couple more I'll just hit. Uh, traffic amnesty was my program to help people with suspended licenses. It expired at the end of this month. It actually gives people 50% off of the fees and fines that they own. So I'm looking to renew that program for another year to make sure that everyone can take advantage. So that would be a big one uh, to look out for. Um, it's just being filed today, so I don't have a bill number for that one. The other one is the Youth uh, Legislative Advisory Council. This is another one that we heard from the protesters, from young people wanting to be more involved in the system and how we make policies. We currently have a Youth Legislative Advisory Council, but it's not utilized property properly. We're not filling the seats as legislators. We were the only ones that could fill the seats and recommend students to be on this. So I tweaked the program just to make sure that it's more diverse, that it has to be at least 50% of a diverse group, diverse group. I added people who can refer people to the group. So I included uh, the alternative schools, the juvenile justice judges, and then some of those community um, organizations that actually deal with youth. And then I also said that the group has to be about 10% of those kids that are actually involved in the system, whether they've been in the juvenile system or they've been in foster care. We wanna make sure that the kids and the youth that are on this advisory council are those that really know what's going on and willing to participate. So that's another big one uh, that you'll see the youth uh, wanting to participate in. And then the student support services. So. There was a battle between should we take away law enforcement from schools or decrease their funding? So we finally came to the conclusion that we split it in two because we wanted to see more funding uh, for social workers and nurses in schools for that mental component. 
So there's going to be one bill that deals with making sure that everyone that is a law enforcement at a school gets the student resource officer training, which is an additional 40 hours to make sure you know how to deal with students. Prior to this piece of legislation, um, every officer does not have that training, not unless you're a specifically a school resource officer. And then you'll see another bill of mine that's also getting filed today that creates a pilot program to give more funding and to create a team approach to those mental services to help students with the counselor, the nurse, um, and everybody that's involved, the psychologist in that component. So those are just some other big ones that you can keep an eye out on. That's excellent. Wow, those are wonderful. And uh, like I told you before, I, I sit on a school board and so this issue comes up and, and I talk about it a lot. And um, there's always the issue of disproportionate disciplining um, amongst um, students of color and uh, many, excuse me. <laughs> but um, you know, we, we struggle with that in our school corporation, like many school corporations, and it's very difficult. And so it, it makes it worrisome to think about having police officers in the building, even though you know, there is a sense that it brings safety, but there's also the real outcome that more children get arrested. And, um, and that's problematic. That is, you know, and that it tends to be more students of color that get, um, you know, arrested or disciplined. And so that, um, you know, that's something we really, really have to work on. And I think your approach of switching that over to more social services, more counseling is really where that needs to go. So again, you're brilliant. So, so anyway, all right, well, we're running out of time and I know that you have a busy schedule and you, um, and you have to go. So um, any parting words of wisdom, uh, Representative Shackelford? Well, I would just say for those that want to assist in advocating as we go through this session, the Black Caucus has set up some advocacy work uh, Friday meetings. Every Friday at 11 a.m. we'll have a virtual Zoom. So if anyone that you know wants to participate and know, uh, we'll be updating everyone every week on where these bills are that we're supporting and in our justice reform, then contact our office at IBLC at IGA.IN.GOV. Excellent, excellent, that's terrific. And I will certainly promote that. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, that's my goal is to get more people involved. Uh, we have a new, a new sense of urgency, a new sense of interest in uh, politics and, and policy in Indiana. And so um, this is wonderful that you're making this all available. So, all right, thank you so much, Representative. It's been just thank wonderful you. hearing from you. I've learned so much. And I, as always, just so impressed with your work down there at the State House. So you're doing great. So thank you so much. Thank you and see y'all later. Okay. <laughs>